want to do an introduction for everybody that hasn't met you before. Um, you are the, I believe, president and CEO of USPH. Right. And uh, you've been in that role for 18 years. Yeah, long time. Yeah. So um, the, the other thing, um, just in the introduction, like most of us, you're a husband and father. You're a family person. I think you have five children, correct? Yeah. Last count. <laughs> Still going, right? <laughs> that, that, that shop is closed. Okay. So uh, no, no de novo kids in the, in the future. Um, in, in it, well, first of all, anything that you'd want to uh, fill in the blanks there in terms of your introduction as a physical therapist, as a practice owner, and now the CEO of a, a USPH. And I think as of last count, you have 550 clinics. Yeah, yeah, no, that's great. Um, I don't want to take up time with that. I appreciate you having me on, and um, I, you do a great job, and 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 I'm just thankful to be here. Great. So uh, let's get rolling then. Uh, topic is what's your practice practice worth today? Um, an update on valuation in the marketplace. So, in preparation for this call, I hope you don't mind that I did this. I actually went back to the uh, last quarter USPH. Uh, read through the transcripts of your. Uh, um, oh, I forget what that's called. Earnings release. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Now, I have no interest in all talking about earnings, but you, you and Larry both have a lot of good information in there in terms of you're talking about, you know, the, the economic environment, the certainty, trends that you've seen, um, the deal flow returning. I think at that point you had completed, a, you know, you brought on one new partner, and now I think that's there's a handful more. Yeah. Um, so are, are you comfortable if I ask you some questions relative to what was in there? Yeah, light me up. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> nothing like there's no inquire uh, <laughs> angle here or anything like that. So um, the one thing that you had um, was that, that I saw is by the end of September, you were basically across uh, all, all of your clinics, you're basically back to normal. I think it was like one within one visit per clinic yeah. um, back to normal. So it, it has that trend continued through the end of the year? Yeah, so um, it's a good question. We got to within, um, I think it was one-tenth or two-tenths of a visit. We, we look at it in visits per clinic per day. So effectively, we got back in October to where we were a year ago, October, October 19. And then in November, we saw a big spike in, in virus numbers. And we began to have a lot more people in quarantine. Our, our, our quarantine numbers in November exceeded all prior months people that we had had quarantined up to that point, just for that one month. Uh, and so we began, to, we began to slide just a little bit late November and into December. Um, and right now we started the new year and so you know, volume in terms of new patients are picking up a lot, but we're, we're off our, our peak by a little bit at this point um, compared to where we were in October, early November. Yeah. And, and I, just from what I hear that that's in alignment across the country, I, I think you're in 30 some odd states, right? Yeah. Around 40. Yeah. Okay. Uh, got it. Um, the, so you, you were at our event, uh, the actual the live summit <laughs> in Dallas a, a year ago. And then six months ago, you were on uh, 
one of our virtual events as well. The one thing that you shared there is uh, you were doing uh, industrial injury injury prevention, and am I am I right there? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was a you, you talked about a, a few programs that you were expanding in terms of uh, like leveling out the business. And the thing that jumped out to me that I never really thought about before is how that stabilized uh, your business uh, through the pandemic. So is there anything for you know the practice owner that has one clinic, five clinics, 10 clinics that they should be thinking about um, in terms of expansion of services to create a more stable business um, in the future? Look, anytime you have a portfolio of, of whatever it is, whether it's stocks or it's clinical programs, it's offerings to the public, I, I think you, you, you level out risk a little bit and you level out volatility. And so whether it's adding that particular clinical program, which was injury prevention for us, or it's adding a sports outreach program or a hand program, I think to round out your portfolio just gives you, you know, more potential options to reach the public and to reach the market and to be that go-to practice. And I think that's always important. Great. So follow up on that. Um, I, I hear diversify there. Sounds like diversification. Yeah. If you have one Tesla stock, it's great, but <laughs> until it isn't. Um, and, and I think diversity matters. Yeah. So along those lines, a pitfall that I'll see a lot of owners do is deviate um, specifically at a certain point on their private practice journey, and they'll try to diversify everywhere. So how do you keep you know, that Pareto principle, 80-20, how do you keep the main thing the main thing while you're expanding and diversifying as well? How do you think through that? You know, for, for, for me, even through my whole career, it was about finding people who were truly excellent at what they did and trying to, whether you buy that business or you hire that person, you enter you know, a particular area in a really strong way so that it doesn't bleed away from what you know, your, your core is. You're not necessarily building it from scratch. You have some underpinning of structure it goes along with it and you can really hit the ground running so it's not a drain. I think things that are drain, you know, you have to be careful of. Some things you can build from scratch and it's great, uh, but it can deviate from, you know, mission and it, it can bleed you over time. So I think if you can, if you can buy or, or find or, 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 you know, move across um, pieces of, of things you want to build or create as the starting infrastructure gives you a big leap forward in terms of, you know, market penetration. Sounds like people are super important to you. You've obviously had a long trail of success um, and uh, amazing ascension. If for anybody here, you should look and study the history old. of USP. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help you with that. Um, <laughs> but uh, finding the right people is, you, you've mentioned this multiple times throughout the, the various conversations that we've had. Um, the other thing that came from that report is that the, the, you started talking about a return of deal flow and partners that you're attracting. Um, the one thing that you said in there is, you know, they're not afraid and they're doing well. 
right? So yeah. can you talk about that? Like what is valuable to you as, you know, from most of us never get the insight, right? To peel back the curtain and talk with somebody that's doing the deal from the other end in terms of mergers, acquisitions, when you're bringing on a partner, what is it that you look you look for other than just the performance? Yeah, I mean, I, I look for, I mean, it, it, may, it may sound trite, but I, you know, I wanna know the person, I wanna know the integrity of the person, I want to know if, if you know, who our partner is going to be, if, if they love what they do, if they have a plan. But, you know, some people think that we're just from Houston prescribing everything that happens. And you, you know me, so you know that's not what we do. We want to buy into somebody's culture and enthusiasm and their plan and add gas to the engine. And so you know, doing things the right way, compliance is important. Um, you know, valuing the, 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 the people that work there, value, valuing the relationships that they built with the community, all those things are really important. And then there are certain business elements that you just look for that are, that are you know, in, indicators of strong operators and strong businesses. And so we, we clearly, we look for that as well. So when I uh, ask you a couple questions, Chris, about uh, deal flow. Okay. One of the things that I heard um, within the marketplace, and I really don't have a reliable source on this, but I, I heard it in several spots is anytime that we experience an, an economic downturn, which if you're looking at the stock market, doesn't seem to be happening at all, right? <laughs> um, but the, the, uh, nonetheless, the, uh, the one thing that I've heard is, well, you know, uh, a ton of practice owners are going to sell at, you know, one and a half to two X multiple now because they had, you know, severe economic stress. However, when I read through um, anything that I see you and your company doing, or I think of, I reflect back on our other conversations, you're not looking for that at all. You're looking for the strongest. Owner. So can you talk a little bit about that? Um, because I think it's a, a unique difference in the marketplace. And honestly, I don't see too many struggling owners going through a merger and acquisition right now. I only see the strongest practices, most resilient practices that are actually doing that. Yeah, well, if you think about who the acquirers are in the marketplace right now, you have us as a public company, and then almost all of the rest of the companies are private equity backed. Most of the PE backed companies, just by nature, they've got higher leverage, meaning they've, if we look at leverage as a multiple of EBITDA, pre-tax earnings, you know, our leverage is less than one times. It's, it's almost no leverage. Um, typical PE back company will be five to seven times levered. And so in a, in a marketplace, those companies want to make sure, and our company is the same way. We want to make sure we're buying people who, if there's another inflection point in the market, they're going to still be strong. You want to be able to again hit the ground running and, and add gas and, and carry it forward and not do, at least for me, not have to fix every single thing in the business. And so we want businesses, you don't have to be ahead of where you were last year. A lot of people aren't yet. Some people are uh, who've, who've done an amazing job, but a lot of people aren't yet. I've actually changed my mind 
through this in terms of what I thought it would do to multiples and to, to deal flow. So I don't think multiples, I'm at now at the point where I don't think multiples are really gonna be impacted that much. Um, I think people see this as, you know, an event that's gonna be done, um, won't, might not be done real soon, but it'll be done sometime probably late in this year and we'll get back to normal or what new normal looks like. Um, and, and I think people, people appreciate that um, those practices who have worked through and kept themselves in, a, in good position are gonna, be, are gonna be strong for the future. And so I don't think it's gonna hurt multiples uh, for the best practices that much. Um, for, for, for really small practices, it's still a tough market because you, you don't have enough size to be able for somebody, you know, to be able to stop and do all the work that's necessary to be done to get a deal done, which that work is no different in a smaller practice as compared to a bigger practice, but the, the impact is smaller, right? Just by nature of numbers. And so I, I think it is a little bit tougher market for smaller practices. I think it's a healthy market for big practices. And I think most acquirers right now are factoring out the impact from the pandemic. If you've gotten back to close to where you were before, I think they're looking at 19 numbers. They're looking at where you are, making maybe some very subtle adjustments or no adjustments, um, but they're adjusting out the negative impact from the pandemic, which I think is both fair and positive. Wonderful. Um, and in that, you kind of projected um, a return of normal deal flow. I'm not even sure what normal deal flow looks like, but it, like, can you give us like a thumbs up, thumbs down? Has that started to happen? Yeah, least? it has. It has. Um, it's good right now. And again, I, I think for the, for the partners that we're attracting and, and we're getting deals done with right now, it's not a fear of what just happened it's it's the ability to know that they're strong enough that they can if they have the right resources the right capital the right partner who can help them grow and realize what they want to do now's a pretty good time to do it because some of the weaker practices are still entrenched with trying to get it all back and put it all back together and there's there's an opportunity to move forward and so I think deal flow, I think this year deal flow is going to be terrific. Excellent. Um, follow up from that. You talked about, um, you know, the new partners that you're bringing on, expanding in their area, primarily two ways to do that, that I've heard you talk about. One is de novo clinics within that area. The other one is acquisition. Sometimes it's a, you know, another practice that's in the area, et cetera. It, yeah. How do you think about, uh, those two things in terms of expansion in an area. Yeah, I, I like them both. Uh, you know, if, if you look at, well, I, I'll give you three different scenarios. If you look at return on invested capital, the amount of money that you have to lay out for a de novo, if you do a good job, that return is very quick. You get your money back in two years, right? And, and, and so, compared to an acquisition with a healthy multiple, you know, a 
six, seven, eight multiple on a bigger deal takes a while. You're not getting your money back in two years. It's going to take longer. Um, so de novos are always healthy from a return perspective. They may not always be as chunky as an acquisition. If you can pick up two or three or four practices at one time. Um, but you know, acquisitions come with, with, with challenges too. And so, you know, you have to be, you have to be careful. You have to decide whether you're buying that person and that practice and they're going to continue or you're, you're putting in your people and, and your people are going to carry it forward. And, you know, does the brand change? Does it not change all those things you have to sort out, but I like both options and opportunities but details matter. And so we look at the details and we try to make with our partner a good decision about best, best options among several, you know, for the path forward. There's a follow-up question in here, Chris, from uh, Dawn. Um, I, I don't remember the exact context of what you were talking about, but uh, hopefully you have a better, uh, you can piece this together better. Um, right. Could you give a few examples of the business elements that you were talking yeah. about? Yeah. So when we, we were talking about um, what makes it, what, what do we look for in an, in an acquisition and, and what are some of the elements? And I mentioned there are certainly business elements. Um, we we want to see somebody who's staffed the clinic properly. And so properly, you know, fits in my mind, kind of a, a range between not heavily overstaffed and, and not understaffed. Uh, we want to see that they have a handle on compliance and billing and coding and that that's, that that's not, you know, kind of a foreign topic or, or that they're not, you know, off, off the mark too far. Um, we we want to know that their people have incentive in the business and, and are taken care of. And so we look for that too. Um, because it's a people business and we want, we want that to carry forward in a positive way. And there are other things. I mean, we look at units per visit, we look at net rate. If those things are, are, are not really where they should be, that's not necessarily a negative. We can help with that. We often help people get you know, a, a much higher net rate as they go forward, better contracts, things like that. So that's not such a, such a big deal. Um, Foundational issues, like if somebody said, we're built to only see, and I'm just going to throw this out, and I hope it doesn't offend anybody, we're going to see one patient, you know, every hour, hour and 15 minutes, and then we'll go and we'll see the next patient and the next patient. That's fine, but that's an embedded model that's part of the culture of that practice. You're not going to change that easily or at all without disruption. And, and so practices that have a little bit of embedded flexibility, and I don't mean flexibility around compliance, but just flexibility around, you know, doing a great job can look a little bit different depending upon how creative you are and how you piece it all together. You know, those are elements that we're attracted to. Um, when, when people have embedded foundational things that aren't necessary, you know, we'll only see patients for a half hour. And that's our model. Those things are hard to change. And, and so adaptation is hard to come by if, if, if and when you need it. 
Got it. Um, yeah, and appreciate. I, I know it's tough to talk about in a very. You, you did great there, so <laughs> thank you for that. Um, the so you talked about knowing the person integrity um, at probably one of the most memorable uh, answers that anybody had from stage at one of our events was, um, and I don't know if you remember this, we were in Dallas, we were on stage and uh, we were talking about the Medicare, upcoming Medicare cuts. This is a year ago. Yeah. And so somebody basically said, hey, you know, what are you doing for advocacy? You probably had the most thorough answer that I could, and, and I, I was surprised um, just in, in terms of the in-depthness that you and your organization were looking at. And when I took a step back and thought about it, I was like, that makes sense. You have a large organization. Most of us as small practice owners, you know, we have five, 10, 20 employees. There's only so much that we can do. Yes, we can write a letter, something like that. But I, I, I just, for everybody on this call, um, you don't have to repeat that exa example verbatim, but can you talk about how entrenched you are in terms of making positive change for practice owners? Um, yeah, and I'm going to put this on. Thank you for, for asking me that, because I think it's really important, particularly right now. You know, we just came through this Medicare cut. We got a cut. We were working hard not to get a cut for the next two years. We weren't successful. And I will tell you, the period leading up to this cut, we had, when I say we, the vehicle that we use that has been our effective vehicle it's not our company vehicle, although our company is very invested in this as well, but is, you know, our APTQI um, company that Alliance for Physical Therapy Quality and Innovation, APTQI. Uh, we have a website. It's a, it's a 501c3 not-for-profit group. It includes all the largest companies in the industry for the most part. Uh, we're, we're further growing. We've grown a lot last year, but we've invested a massive amount in lobbying. We now have a full-time lobbyist. We now have a full-time PR group uh, who works with this. Uh, we, do, we did a big grassroots campaign at the end of the year. We got tens of thousands of letters to Congress. We did individual congressional meetings that probably numbered 30 just in the last month to, to, to two months of the year on this push. All of us were on innumerable calls with, with key congressional people and key committees. Um, and, and so our work continues. Obviously, our challenge continues. We've got a PTA cut next year, a further reduction for the next two years. And we've got to get that, we've got to get that beat back. The other thing we did is we created an alliance to include 36 other medical specialties. I think it was 36, a huge group of other medical specialties cooperatively uh, with, the help of our, with the help of our lobby group to work together to begin to get some sane um, year over year change with respect to you know, the, the kind of tamping down the fluctuations that this year have been wild fluctuations, plus 14 to minus 11 in terms of reimbursement. That's way, way, way too high. Nobody can absorb that. And so we're working actively through APTQI. If you haven't been to the site, it's easy access. If you want to send a letter to a congressman, your congressman, there's 
30 seconds, you can do it from our site. You put your zip code in, we'll have letters available. You can do your own and it's quick and easy. It pulls up your representatives uh, right there on the spot and, and it, it'll, it'll record that traffic that goes through our site um, so that we know how often we're touching somebody. Awesome. Thank you for the thorough response. Um, and I just, I, I, I need two minutes here um, just for everybody because I, through talking with, I, I think I'm up to 120 owners on uh, through 2020 that I talked with individually. Um, there's, there's something that I noticed specifically going on for the smaller practice owner. And by small, I mean, 20 million in revenue less. I know that's not small, relatively speaking here. No, that's pretty good size. Yeah, but, um, the, and there, there's a mechanism. And so first of all, everyone that's watching this that is within the US that is in private practice PT benefits from the work that, that you're doing, right? That you and your group are doing we all benefit from that. We're, we're all aligned the same way. We all care about the same things and we all get paid the same way. So, yep. yeah. So the, the, the second part to that is uh, for many of us, we usually had an experience working for a large corporate <laughs> outfit, right? Sure. And it becomes, so like you make large companies human for us. Chris, and I, I, I thank you for doing that because uh, you're very down to earth. You do it in a humble way and it's great. But the mechanism that I noticed many owners doing is, you know, the large corporation is the boogeyman, the competitor. It's a zero sum game. And what, what I noticed is they were blocking themselves from growing because of a strategy that they knew the larger competitive competitor was doing whether it's personnel and incentivization, whether it's a marketing, whether it's a treatment model or anything like that. And it's like, I don't wanna be like them because they're bad, right? Yeah. And they were completely blocking themselves from growth and learning. So I didn't know if you could shed any color on that and seeing it, but like, it's something that I became acutely aware of because of talking with owners through the pandemic. Yeah. So like anything that you wanna- No, share? I appreciate that. Look, you know, I, I think, it, it, I don't think I'm wrong about this, but I'll tell you what I think. You know, we're, we're all, we all went to school. I went to school, you went to school. Those on, the, on this call went to school to be caregivers and to make a difference and to, to, they were passionate about what they wanted to do and physical therapy was the way to, to, to make a difference. And you didn't go to school to become rich, right? You didn't go to PT school to become rich. and. You certainly don't go to physical therapy school now to become rich, but all of us need to make a living and our companies, if they're not profitable, you don't get to keep doing it, right? Unless you work for the Easter Seals or for a nonprofit group, and, and that's, not your, that's not your constituency, you don't get to continue. And so we all have to achieve a reasonable level of profit. In my view, the biggest companies have the most resources around compliance and around clinical services to make sure that this crazy world we live in, which is ever changing, you know, we get it right. But yeah, it's, it's easy. And I think it's also a little bit lazy to just say the guy who's successful, whether that's the big C word company, the corporation, because we've all got corporations, some just are bigger than others, 
the big boogeyman corporation, they're successful. And I'm working really hard, hard as I know how, and, and they're having more success. So they must be cheating. I, I think that's honestly, and I don't want this to come across the wrong way. I think that's a lazy approach. When I was in private practice, we had another practice who was, we were first starting, who was much bigger than us. And my therapist wanted to do the same thing. They said, well, they've got, they've got dirty relationships with doctors. They've got this, they've got that. And, and I cut that off at the knees. You live and die by service. Um, what matters are relationships and what matters are what people say about you and feel about you and think about you when you're done with their care. And so I do think that this us and them mentality, it's not, it doesn't hurt us per se, but it doesn't help the other guys because they might, they might, they might miss a relationship with the, it might not be a, US physical therapy, it might more often be a large, larger private practice in the area. And they might miss picking up on, well, how did they do it? And, and what could I do differently? And, 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 and you wanna just not be that? Maybe there are some things under that tent that really could work for you. And at the end of the day, we're all clinicians. We all care about the same thing just running, you know, different size shops is what it comes down to with different amount of resources. Yeah, great. Um, and just for everybody on this call, uh, I confess at one point I was very lazy and I did exactly everything. I'm guilty <laughs> of everything that Chris said there. Um, and life changed once, <laughs> once, that, once I was no longer a victim and started addressing what was really going on. Um, what, one more thing I want to ask you about and then Hopefully we have a couple minutes here for uh, another question on valuation. By the way, Daniel Sage is blowing up the chat comments. <laughs> uh, proud partner, Chris is the man. Uh, Chris Hicks says, "Remember the response. Remember the response in Dallas. That was the day I became a fan of Chris." Uh -huh. uh, Diane says, "Thank you for your work." And Larissa says, uh, "Great statement." Um, so. There, I need to come to you when I'm having a bad day because this is <laughs> this is like the highlight of my week right now. So <laughs> sweet. Um, so it, the um, when when I was reading through uh, the the quarterly report, the earnings report, another thing that you did in there was uh, you you talked about uh, a, a simplified view of physical therapy, and specifically you said something along the lines of you know physical therapy low cost solution. Um, that uh, prevents expensive care, yeah. um, which which I couldn't agree with more. And then the second thing, um, you know, throughout the pandemic, we've stayed open to get people back to work and back to the economy. Now you, you're leading a huge organization, several thousand employees, um, in nearly 40 states, 550 locations. Um, how, can you talk about the because I think and here's where I'm going with this: okay. most owners lose painting the picture. And if we're talking about practice valuation, getting the entire team, and for most of us, it's a team of five or 10 or 20 people, all aligned rowing in the same direction, seems like a gargantuan task. You're doing it through very difficult times with thousands of people. Can you talk about um, like how you came to that vision, how you repeat it, how you think about um, painting that for your, your group? 
vision around anything of importance or specific to the pandemic? It, we're in the physical therapy business. We have uh, uncertain, unreliable times. Yeah. Right? Uh, we, I, I think you said something in there. Uh, we, we haven't really hit a steady state yet. We don't know exactly what the new normal looks like. Right. Um, so can you, um, how do you paint a vision for all those people? Because I think you do it well. And oh, thank you. I don't, I don't know if I do it well or not. Look, um, I've never pretended to have a great crystal ball on the future. I know some people, you know, I go to these conferences, public conferences, and I listen to other CEOs speak and they talk about their five-year plan or their 10-year plan what the future is gonna look like. And there are a few guys like Elon Musk and, and, and other crazy forward thinking innovators that, that have that gift. I, I don't pretend to have the gift. What I, what, I, what I do though, I think is I'm honest with people for better or for worse. And I think whether it's the public market or our employees, they know me um, which is for better, for worse, you know, the good and the bad. And, and I'm honest with them and I don't hold things back. Uh, I'm inherently positive person. And so I look for, you know, the path forward. Certainly I'm, I'm not a ring the hands kind of guy, but I think people appreciate the honesty and the transparency and the emotion sometimes that goes along with making hard decisions. Uh, and the reality of our business, and they come alongside, and and we figure it out together as we go, and and that gives you the room to adjust and adapt rather than saying, here's the only path that's going to work, and then you go down that path and it doesn't work, or it's not exactly where you need to be, and you need to adjust, and then you've only you've already told people this is the only way. And now it's not the only way, or, or it shouldn't be. And so I, I think for, for me, just creating the honesty around, look guys, I'm not perfect, but this is what we believe we need to do. And this is why. And if that changes, we'll tell you and we'll adjust accordingly. And that to me gives me the most buy-in and flexibility. And for me is the most honest way to do it. Great. Um, one add in there for you. So only from Carl's experience, uh, Elon Musk does no business planning. Yeah, I don't, it, it, all in his head, maybe, <laughs> all in his head. They, they, uh, it, you have to ask Carl about that sometime because uh, he said it's, it's pretty, there's usually like uh, one or two major initiatives, problems that they're trying to solve and it's no holds barred. We pull all stops until that is solved. That's uh, extreme focus. Um, yeah. Cool. So, uh, uh, there's a comment in here from uh, one of your partners, Brian, uh, Jocelyn, when looking to expand, what are the two most important things to look for? Um, is it how embedded a leader is in that community, the location of the clinic itself, socioeconomic factor of the location, something else? Yeah, I can tell you what it's not. It's not location. It's not socioeconomic factors. It's not your competitors. Um, I, I want to be where a lot of people, some people want to be where nobody is. I want to be where everybody is because where everybody is means there's a lot of business to move. You just have to be better than 
you know, at least pieces, parts of, of what's out there. If you're where nobody is, there may be a reason nobody's there and there probably isn't a lot of business. And sure, you need to find a decent location, not next to a liquor store or, you know, some, some nothing against liquor stores, but, you know, some place that's, that's nice that you're going to be able to be for a while. It's all about the offering and it's about the people that are going to be there that are going to drive that business. My company made a huge mistake 18 years ago, 19 years ago, before I got there. They hired a guy to do demographic analysis and, and, and car counts and all this crazy Starbucks kind of, you know, here's where we need to be kind of stuff. And they went out and just started popping facilities and markets based purely upon demographics, socioeconomic, traffic flow, all of it failed miserably and quickly because they didn't have the people part. And the people part is what matters and the service that you give and the relationships that those people bring and have, that's what matters. And if you have that, you can go anywhere and, and, and expand and move business. That's, to me, that's the key. Super. So speaking of Jim Collins, um, do you have this? Uh, I know you're a Jim Collins fan. Do you have a new book? I don't. Okay, don't don't order it. We'll, we'll get you a copy of this. Awesome. Uh, thanks for being on here. And uh, what, one more question. Um, a year ago, you shared with us that you uh, had a personal goal to dunk a basketball again. <laughs> it wasn't a year. It wasn't a year ago. It was, it was not that long ago. All right. So two weeks ago, you shared with us that you. Yeah, thank to, you. <laughs> um, you wanted to dunk a uh, basketball again. I just wanted to know how, how that's coming along. Um, let me tell you. Well, the, the long story is I'm not dunking yet. Um, and it may take a while and I may never get there. But I, I, I set a crazy goal, physical goal for this last year. And I, and I got to it. And, and so that's the next thing. I'm working out like crazy. And I feel good. And so um, I'm, I'm tweaking little things. We'll see. I don't know. Don't hold your breath, but I'll let you know. Okay. Was it a leg strength goal? That was the... Yeah, it was It was to get back to what I was doing when I was 21 or 22 in the gym. And so I, I got there. I, I had to put on, I had to put on 15 pounds to do it of, you know, decent, decent muscle, but I, I got there. Um, and I, I set up a home gym and, and I'm working out with the kids and they're kicking my butt, but it's, it's great. That's awesome. Well, Chris, uh, thank you so much for being here again. You're, lots of love in the channel, uh, in the chat there for you. Um, there is another question that we'll have to save from next time from Mike uh, Schrakel, USPH philosophy on direct access versus physician referral. We'll save that for another time, but thank you so much for being here. Yeah. At Virtual Summit, Chris. Thanks. Thanks, Chad. See you.